Thank you. Good morning. It is a real honor to preach this morning. For those of you who don't know, or for those of you who have forgotten, uh, my name is Bill, and uh, I was uh, had the privilege of being on staff here in 2019 and oversaw our mission, uh, local and global uh, initiatives. And part of that we was I was part of the team that went to Rwanda and helped to establish our relationship and our partnership with Canadian Baptist Ministries and Baptist churches in Rwanda, and uh, it changed my life. And so I am uh, ever grateful for that, among other things. During our time in Rwanda, one of the things that was most amazing to see was the way that the Rwandan people are coming together for the sake of moving forward. In the wake of genocide and horrific, a horrific history, neighbors and former enemies are not merely tolerating one another, but realizing that they need one another in order to be strong. It's an incredibly hard and long process. But we heard stories over and over again of reconciliation and restoration, stories of hope for the future. And a consistent thread among the stories that we heard was that people were learning to put aside their identities as either Hutus or Tutsis to come together as Rwandans. They confront their real and painful history, and together they create peace and reconciliation and hope. And we knew going in, and we discovered when, when we were in Rwanda and coming back, that there's important and necessary lessons here for us to learn. As we consider the relationships in our lives and in our society that require us to confront some shameful and painful and uncomfortable histories, situations, and relationships. We create hope and flourishing together when we learn to move towards reconciliation rather than entrenching ourselves in conflict and hatred. I see the Spirit moving in our time, and He is calling the church to be a people of reconciliation, to be peacemakers. The world needs to see that the church is built on a foundation of faith and of justice. And those who follow Jesus follow him in ways that offer peace, embody the gospel, and demonstrate the ways of God's kingdom. This morning we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is this pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. And it is also a pivotal, cha pivotal chapter in the life of the church. It's a story of the Holy Spirit breaking boundaries, calling the Christian church to embrace those considered outside the church, those considered outside God's favor. The church and God that God has in mind will not fit in the people's boxes, and nor do I think he, will he often fit in ours. As we get started, let me pray. Lord, we come this morning and we ask that you encounter us that you speak to us. The words that uh, we linger on this morning would be words that uh, you speak, that attach themselves to our hearts, that move us to places where we, uh, as, as Tyler Prater spoke earlier, that we uh, see compassion, that we feel compassion, that we're moved to be your people in this time and in this place, that we help one another grow, and that we help one another to seek the goodness and to seek life around us. Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 
Well, let me give you some context to where we're at as we get to the, the chapter 10 in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, as I said, is the story of, of the Holy Spirit. It's often called the, the Acts of the Apostles. It's better named the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit moving to build his church and to see flourishing in the world. Up to this point, the church has been mostly the Jewish, Jewish people, those who had recognized in Jesus one who they saw was the long-awaited Messiah. But the Spirit is starting to disrupt things. The world is starting to be disrupted as the church has become being persecuted. They're being forced out of Jerusalem, forced into uh, the eastern Mediterranean. And as they spread out, they're encountering all kinds of different people in different cultures. Building up to Acts chapter 10, we see in, in chapters 8 and chapter 9, Luke telling the story, stories of some significant people that the church encounters who are, would normally be considered outside of God's people, outside of God's favor, these outsiders. In chapter 8, uh, we find Philip preaching in Samaria of all places. Samaria, the place and the people that the Jews had learned to hate, had learned to despise as illegitimate followers of God. Even while he's in Samaria, the writer Luke tells about the sto a story about Simon the sorcerer, someone who practiced an alternative spirituality, someone who's feared by the church, yet someone drawn to God by the Holy Spirit. We then see Philip encounter the Ethiopian eunuch, a foreigner, someone whose sexuality put him outside the norms of, the Jewish of acceptable Jewish culture. Yet once again, someone drawn towards a relationship with God through Jesus. We're moving along quickly. In, in chapter 8, we see the dramatic conversion of, of Saul. He's the ultimate persecutor of the church, the enemy of all enemies. But the Spirit moves in him, and he is transformed by God's love and by God's power. The church needs to trust God and to embrace their enemy. Luke also tells the story of Tabitha, a faithful woman and someone who was so essential to what God had, was doing in the world that Peter brought her back from the dead. We see that gender is no barrier for the Holy Spirit. And finally, we find Peter at the opening of Acts 10, standing in the, staying in the home of Simon the Tanner, someone who would have been considered unclean because he worked with the bodies of dead animals. The hated Samarian, Samaritans, the sorcerer, the eunuch, the enemy Saul, the woman Tabitha, and the unclean Tanner. Luke is showing us that the old categories are being discarded. God will not tolerate the boundaries that have been created between people. The Holy Spirit is on the move in presence and in power. And so we get to Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read from the New International Version. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to follow along. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw the angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. 
Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. We are introduced to this man, Cornelius. By every standard of his culture, Cornelius would have been considered a complete success, a model man. He's a soldier. He's a leader. He's a well-respected community member. Yet Cornelius recognizes that there's something essential missing in his life, something beyond the trappings of Roman culture and personal success. Cornelius, I think, is someone we might describe today as spiritual but not religious. He finds himself outside the institution, but is drawn to something that is bigger than himself and bigger than anything offered to him by the world. I certainly wonder, does this sound like anyone you know? God is busy in the world calling people like Cornelius. His spirit is drawing people towards himself. God's love for people breaks through. We see the presence of the Holy Spirit in Cornelius' life in acts of goodness and generosity towards his neighbors. God is working in the world so that we should not be surprised when we see the fruit of the Spirit showing up in our neighborhoods and in the lives of our neighbors. This is God at work. God is done with the categories of insider and outsider. He's about, and he's about to build a bridge between Cornelius and Peter. For the sake, for sure, of Cornelius, but I think more importantly, for the sake and future of the church. Peter will be called to join in what the Holy Spirit is doing. But in order to join God at work, Peter's understanding of faithfulness in the church are going to need to be transformed. And so we pick up the scriptures again in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to, something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. One of the things that Jesus, uh, that I like Jesus, that Jesus says often in the Gospels, he says, he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Basically, I think he's saying, let me open your eyes to what's really going on and blow your mind. I think it perfectly fits with the encounter that Peter is having with the Holy Spirit here in this passage. Peter sees a vision of God's redemptive plan for the whole world. And very quickly, the vision is this, the sheet comes down from heaven, and it's uh, four corners, and it's meant to represent the, the whole of God's realm, the whole of God's kingdom, uh, the four corners, north, south, east, and west, everything. 
And it's full of all, all kinds of animals, every kind of animal, which is, represents the idea that everything, all of creation, is within God's kingdom, within God's realm. And Peter is invited by God to kill and to eat, which is an invitation to Peter by God to fully participate in life within God's kingdom. God's kingdom is the place where life is interconnected and everything flourishes. God says to Peter, kill and eat. And we should remember in those words, Jesus' words to his disciples, the words that we'll celebrate at this table, take and eat. The invitation that in and through Jesus, we get to partake in new life and kingdom goodness. Peter is told to see that all that the Spirit touches is made clean and good. Life in the kingdom is about abundance and participation in life, not about scarcity and avoidance of death. The Spirit is moving, and the entire world is being reshaped. The Spirit is disrupting things. Well, trapped in this pandemic, we are all now well acquainted with disruptive times. Times when we, we are required to evaluate what we know and what we believe. And we often respond in what psychologists call fight or flight. We dig in our heels and say, we will not allow change to happen. We will battle, we will destroy, we will overcome. And we build walls to fortify ourselves and protect what's rightfully ours. Our walls are heavily armored and ready for any assault. Or we retreat. We expend as much energy as necessary to protect ourselves and to build walls that ensure we will be safe. Our walls are, are thick to survive any attack. But either way, we view those outside as our enemies, and we make sure they know it. But God is not a God of walls and enemies. God is about breaking down every barrier, erasing every boundary between humanity and himself and humanity and one another. He has shown Peter that the whole world is his kingdom, and he's calling all people to himself. He is breaking boundaries so that Cornelius might break into the community that has excluded him. He's breaking down boundaries so that Peter might break out of the box that he's been confined in. And Peter is listening to God's call and goes to Cornelius. In the process, the whole nature of the church is transformed. This encounter with Cornelius is a wake-up call for Peter and for us. The boundary markers of the past are being overwritten. God's people will no longer be determined by the categories of human exclusion. God will no longer tolerate people that he is drawing being excluded. Peter enters into this new movement of the Spirit, setting aside antiquated barriers to bring a message of hope and peace to Cornelius and his fellow seekers. Both Jews and Gentiles are being invited to participate in the kingdom of God. Peter steps across the boundary into Cornelius' home and world and proclaims gospel truth. Listen to his proclamation, starting again in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Amen. Hallelujah. He is not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The Spirit is on the move, and God is establishing his kingdom and forming his people among those who respond to his call. The kingdom is made up of those who are reconciled in relationship with God through faith and oriented to the world through justice. Those who fear God and do what is right. In and through Jesus, God is reconciling people to himself and to one another. There's an essential concept here that we often trip, often trip over as a church, and that's justice. We've confused it with doing good. We've confused it with working hard. When in reality, justice is an essential part of who God is and who he calls us to be. Peter is clearly describing followers of God as those marked by faith or righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice are terms that define what it means to be right-related, firstly to God and then to all of creation, including one another. In the Old Testament, the terms for righteousness and justice are literally interchangeable. And the Hebrew writers and the later translators do just that. Both are rooted in God's own character. Righteousness implies justice. Justice implies righteousness. When Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, he states the dual commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. Righteousness and justice. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, in the part that we read, is known by his neighbors and by God as a man of righteousness and of justice. And Peter proclaims that God's people will be those known for lives of righteousness and justice, those who fear God and do what is right. Biblical justice is an essential characteristic of God, of Jesus and his ministry, and of his church. Stanley Grenz says, For Christians, ideas like faithfulness, justice, and even integrity can only be defined in connection with God's own character as depicted in the biblical narrative of the divine covenant keeper. Justice is not something God does. It's part of who he is. According to theologian Chris Marshall, justice designates the right ordering of the universe, the way God intends reality to operate. God has created the world in a manner that expresses and depends on God's inherent justice and righteousness. Therefore, to follow God is to pursue justice. We see this profoundly embodied in the life and ministry of Jesus. 
He came proclaiming justice in his mission inauguration in Luke chapter 4. Jesus stands before the synagogue and declares the vision, that the vision of Isaiah is manifested in himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, he says, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight from the, for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus consistently aligned himself with the marginalized and against those in power that oppressed them. And the church, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, is God's community of justice on earth. The church that faithfully represents God in the world embodies justice. Just Jesus describes his followers in Matthew chapter 25 as those who feed the hungry, give a drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and visit the imprisoned. Jesus' followers are those who pursue justice. Consider justice as participating in setting the world in the right order, to God's order. It's bringing balance to that which is out of balance. It's making things beautiful, bringing hope, standing with the oppressed, standing against those who oppress, bringing peace. This is justice. Therefore, righteousness and justice are the active pursuits of the church to participate in God's restoration and reconciliation in the world. This is what the follower, followers of Jesus are called to be. This passage ought to deeply impact what it looks like for us to engage those we consider as outsiders. Like the early church, we have created boundaries that marginalize and exclude. Reconciliation is about being right related to those around us. It's an element, an essential element of biblical justice. And this is what God is doing. He's drawing people to himself, forever forming the people of God. God is forever in the process of transforming our lives and our imaginations. Cornelius could not have imagined that the God he was honoring from afar would bring him close. Peter could not imagine that the God would break out of the box that had been built around him and offer redemption to the whole world. Acts chapter 10 carries us away into, into the radical nature of God's salvation. We do not control who God calls or who God saves. God is forming a motley crew, perfectly assembled for his purposes. Remember, the hated Samaritan, the sorcerer, the eunuch, the enemy Saul, the woman Tabitha, and the unclean Tamar, and me, and you. All called all parts of God's grand plan. God is breaking boundaries, and Peter responds, by being open to this new movement of the Spirit. We need to consider how we respond when God calls us out of our comfortable boxes. Willie James Jennings is an African-American theologian at Yale Divinity School. In confronting issues of diversity in the church head-on, Jennings writes, the new word that God continues to speak to us is to accept new people, different people that we had not imagined that God would send across our paths and into our lives. Christians need to contend with the reality that God desires all people to, to be reconciled to him and to one another. Even those we would not necessarily choose to associate with or, or feel like we want to be reconciled to. Often we must admit that we are more protective of the status quo 
than we are than we are receptive to welcoming others into our midst. Our faith in a just God ought to make us more open to people, not less. The pursuit of biblical justice ought to drive us towards those with whom reconciliation is necessary. I believe the Spirit is moving in our time and calling the church to be peacemakers and reconcilers. But many in our society would not characterize the church in this way. It's not been their experience. So frankly, I can't blame them. But I think the church committed to Jesus, to confronting our history, to pursuing peace and embodying justice will redeem the place of the church as God's ambassador, of, uh, of the ambassadors of God's kingdom in the world. The church's relationship with indigenous people in Canada is one such opportunity. This is why we're hosting a cadre class this fall focused on moving towards reconciliation. As Tyler mentioned, my conviction is that we have a considerable amount of work to do to get ourselves on the right track. And this course will be committed to confronting our colonial history and creating a biblically just imagination for reconciliation. Last year, was it? Who knows, when's that? what's the timing? <laughs> We went through a similar course where we, where we looked at the history, the history in Canada of the relationship between, uh, between uh, settler Can Canadians and Indigenous Canadians. And so we're moving to the next step now, looking at you know, how do we take the information and then how do we internalize that and then move ourselves towards what it looks like to be ready, even just ready for reconciliation. So consider whether you are called to such a journey. We start that cadre a little early, the cadre class a little early in two weeks. And so there's information I'm sure it was on the web and it will be in the emails, but uh, I, I, I encourage you. And, and if you have any questions about that, uh, connect with Tyler and he'll connect you with, with me. And this is only one opportunity for the church to engage the proverbial outsider from a posture of humility and of deep desire for relationship. Who are the outsiders that come to mind for you? As we see with Peter and Cornelius, it is as much the benefit of the church to welcome the outsider as vice versa. Jennings again notes, Christians have often failed to see difference as an invitation to change, transform, and expand our identities into the ways of life of other peoples. Diversity is not a goal in and of itself. Rather, diversity is an opportunity to know more fully and more deeply the depth and breadth of God's reality. Consider us at Westview. We are blessed to have a diversity of backgrounds and cultures among us in our community. That diversity ought to profoundly shape who we are, how we worship, the nature of our discipleship, and how we engage the world. It's a great gift. Who I am ought to impact who you are. Who you are ought to impact who I am and who we are is a masterpiece. We've been equipped to deeply engage one another in the world, but of course we have some work to do. As we learn to engage those we consider outsiders, we're in the process of moving from being other to being one another. Frankly, it's our young people that can teach us this. They're way ahead of most of us in what it means to not just, be, to not just tolerate the other, but to embrace, 
to get to know, to unfold, to allow them to form a new community among one another. And we need to listen to it. It's, it's at the heart of uh, our kids' experience at school, what it means to, to, to be together with those who, are, who, who, who appear different, with those who we need in order for us and ourselves to grow. Our, our young adults uh, are, are coming up in a world and are leaders in a world that will not tolerate the things that we as older adults tolerated. And we need to learn from them what it means and what God is doing in the midst. This is an act of justice. This is an act of God. This is God moving among us. And the Spirit is on the move. Let's return one more time to the text in verse 44. Wrap up this chapter. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. We recognize the work of, the, of God by the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is building the church. The Spirit is at work all around us in expected places and in so many unexpected people and places. Will we allow ourselves to be used in those unexpected opportunities to embody the gospel build his church, and bring hope. One of the ministries we met in Rwanda was Guardians of Hope. They build community among HIV-positive individuals and families. They have been instrumental in sustaining life, first by helping those suffering receive uh, antiviral drugs and medications, and then by helping provide community and economic opportunities. Even in the even in death, they bring life, giving those who are dying dignity and love. Guardians of Hope stepped across boundaries of stigma and marginalization to bring faith and justice into the lives of so many. The families we met told stories of transformation and of hope and of building a future. This is what it looks like to be people who fear God and do what is right. May grace and peace be with you. Let me pray. God, we are confronted by the reality of your movement in the world. Help us to be those who are attentive to your spirit, who see you at work, who get excited about what you're doing, even if it makes us uncomfortable, and who follow and do likewise. I pray, Lord, that as a church, we would learn, learn more and more what it means to engage those that we've traditionally viewed as outsiders, to be those who are known by the community around us and by the world as reconcilers and peacemakers, those who bring hope and love and peace into the world. Pray these things in Jesus' name and hope that you will move in us and that we'll respond. Amen.